Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final episode of our reflections on Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. I am your humble and honored host, and we're gathered here today for a truly noteworthy conversation with two distinguished guests. That's why you're here, right? Today, we have the immense privilege of sharing time with creator Shonda Rhimes and executive producer Betsy Beers. As we reflect on this remarkable series... I'm filled with gratitude for the opportunity to pick the brains of these two brilliant minds and to delve deep into their process. And I got to say, it was really fun to watch them rediscover in real time the juice that got them hooked on telling this story in the first place. Shonda and Betsy, acclaimed producers, storytellers in their own right, have captivated global audiences with their unparalleled ability to breathe life into characters that are bizarre royal, untouchable in that way, and yet firmly planted on earth. All right. So here we are. We are finally taking your questions to creator Shonda Rhimes and executive producer Betsy Beers. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. For me, and I think for a lot of fans, I am most fascinated by your working relationship and how that has flourished over the years, changed, morphed, became what it is. So I'm really curious about how the two of you work together. And I know that this project was special for a few reasons. Could you tell us about that? 
And then if you could really paint a picture of what it looks like to be working together. It's a funny question because at this point, we're so used to working together by also not working together, if that makes any sense. That totally makes sense. You know, we get together and we discuss projects in the writing process. I'm always talking to Betsy about what I'm thinking or what I'm considering or how it's going to work. And at the same time, Betsy's sort of working to make sure production is prepped the way it needs to be prepped and and understands the vision that I'm trying to put out there. A job that gets easier, I think, for all of us because of Tom, since Tom's also part of our permanent little group now, which is really nice. But, you know, usually I'm writing and either telling Betsy it's terrible or sending her pages and telling her I think it's great and her telling me what she thinks. And then when there's a script, we sort of hit the road talking about production and stuff. And at this point, I don't have to say to Betsy, here's the vision that I have for Queen Charlotte, because Betsy already has that vision too. We've worked together for so long that that we just see things the same way now. Don't you think, Betsy? I t- No, I totally agree with that. And the great thing is we're sounding boards for each other. And especially what I like to feel like is we have conversations about stuff or what's yeah. interesting about stuff. Or we'll start with like, I think this point is interesting. And her big brain will like spew out some amazing sort of what ifs. <laughs> and then we can start with the what ifs and push them in lots of different directions. And one of the things I love to do, and I've done my whole life in this job, is I'll drive in four billion directions just for the hell of it. And then it's a little bit like a buffet. You can you can kind of pitch with, pitch with every direction, but I don't really have to do that with Shonda anymore because we've been doing it for so long. Right. She always hits the ground running. And with this project especially... I knew what it was. She knew exactly what it was. And the first conversation we had, she said, this is what I feel this is. And that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, it. I think it went through less quote unquote development. I'm making those little annoying quotey sounds with my fingers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anybody knows what I'm doing. But I, it, there was no real development of this. This was, I would say, like the unfurling of your brain it had been like it had been sitting in there for a while or something. Yes, yeah. it, it had been. But I have to say, you also, you very often percolate without percolating. Yes, that's very true. Wait, what do you mean? Well, it's like, I say it's like coffee. It's like in the back of her head, something, the grounds are in there. You put the water in and it's just sort of percolating back there. Like ideas and just are sort of building, right? They're just sort of building. And sometimes we'll talk about a bunch of different things just randomly because she's my favorite person to call and go like, did you just read this thing? It really annoyed me. Or (laughs) do you know what's amazing about life? And then somehow or another, she's already formed some sort of story in her head that speaks to all the questions I had. True. It's kind of like magic, except really hard work. (laughs) (laughs) The hard thing about us working together for so long is that we can no longer explain how we work together. (laughs) It's true. That was the biggest load of garbage that just came out of my mouth. But <laughs> but it's so hard but, to talk but, about because it's so it is. it's it's literally the way we've been living life for twenty years now. So yeah. it, it's very hard to describe to somebody what breathing feels like. Hmm. It's true. And my favorite moment sometimes is we there have been points. Do you remember there was one point a long time ago where we were in a meeting and it was a it was an incredibly tortured not particularly productive meeting in which there was an executive spewing things. Yes. That and. There was a moment she looked at me and she said, can you translate? Right. I looked at her. I was like, what are they saying? <laughs> They're not talking creatively. I said, blah, 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 blue, quietly. And she was like, okay, this makes absolutely no sense. But 
So there's a certain amount of translation, but even more so, at this point, we'll just look at each other and go, she'll go, do you know the thing that happened at the time when we did that thing? And I'll go, yeah, I do. Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. Any long-term relationship that you're really close where you've been through a lot of experiences, I think probably you'd talk to anybody who'd say, yeah, um, one of the things I value most is the closest not to have to talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was just saying to to my dad, sometimes you just can be in a room with someone and not say anything. Exactly. And not necessarily like the Violet and Danbury moment. Um, but, you know, <laughs> uh, so you mentioned what ifs. I'm wondering if there were any particular what ifs that blew your mind, Betsy, um, for this particular project. Was there a what if early on that that sent you in 48 billion directions? I think with this project specifically, there are fewer what-ifs that I was coming up with because with this project, so much was already in her head. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes we'll be dealing just sort of with a world and we'll place more of a what-if. Like, what if you actually dug into this particular character where we talked about this thing, which is bothering... I always start, and I think Shauna does too, with what am I feeling or how am I thinking or what's in my brain. But I don't think there was as much of that with this because... It was something that emerged, I think, fully grown from her brain. There was something about watching Golda play Queen Charlotte that made me begin to imagine a world in which that character started out and began her journey. One of the questions that we received was if, Shonda, you actually, when you are percolating, are you journaling and writing or do you have post-it notes everywhere or do you just talk out loud? What does that look like for you? Yeah, none of the above. I'm not journaling or writing or putting post-it notes or talking out loud. Generally, when Betsy means like something's percolating in the back of my brain for real, I'll be going about my whole daily life doing something completely different. Sometimes I'm even writing another project or working on another project. But the story idea for something is in the back of my brain. And then one day I wake up and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ready to write it down now. And when I write it down, it's pretty much fully formed. Like I'm not a person who churns through drafts and like is pained in that way. Mm, it's more never happened. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, like writing is, it can be a painful process, but I'm not, I don't have that process. I either know what I'm writing or I don't. And if I don't, then I'm not writing it yet. It's still percolating. That's exactly right. It's, it's nothing you see. It's just back there. And you know, when the bread's baked, it comes out of the oven. So it's, but it's, I think I, I'm going to use a lot of cooking metaphors, clearly, but <laughs> But I do, I, I, I think it's it's funny because we always sort of say like, when's something going to be ready? It's like, well, it's not ready till it's ready. ready. And when it's yeah. ready, it'll come out and it will be what you see on film. And to be honest, that was true with the Grey's Anatomy. And that's true with this. A lot of writers, I think, write and then they put a draft out and then you have to get notes and there's a lot of feedback and a lot of changes and a lot of molding. And I think I do all that in my head. And yep. then it, whatever we end up turning out as a page is usually what we end up shooting. Yeah. I mean, 99.9% of the time. Yeah. That makes me think about some of the things that are, that become what ifs and what happened for the audience. Like um, my first time through watching, I kept hinging myself onto this idea of the great experiment. And I felt like there was enough room for the audience, for myself to just wonder exactly what you all were getting at with some of the ideas and concepts that emerged in Queen Charlotte. And I'm wondering if you actually birth it that way, where it 
may not seem like a complete or like there is more to be unpacked, but you don't even know yet what that is. Is no, doesn't work like that. No, you so you know like ev- like the <laughs> she knows. <laughs> right. You just you know. I don't know how to explain it, but you just know and then you write it down. I wish I wish that there was a way to bottle it because then I could do it much easier. But you do, you know, and then you write it down. So some of these things, you know, the great experiment was something that I started talking about from the beginning in terms of how we were gonna build this world and tell the story. And I think also it was connected to something that was, you know, in the Bridgerton universe was something that you felt incredibly strongly about Shonda and really wanted wanted to create your own articulation of that. Right, because it's given one line. It's given like one line or two lines in the Bridgerton story, you know, their love united a nation. And that's great. But I was like, I need there to be a world that works with this inside the Bridgerverse for this to work. One of the really nice things I heard from the cast was being dropped into this world where everybody works differently. And so there's so much to glean and there's so much to share. Um, It sounds like a really great thing. But there's something that you just said, too, that makes me think of one of these questions. If you know everything going into putting out this work, you then know the answer to what happened to Reynolds. Of course I do. And <laughs> everybody wants to know. I know. What happened to Reynolds? And I'm not ready to tell anybody <laughs> what that answer is. Perhaps this is good. Perhaps. Perhaps it is bad. I told a complete story. I left you with some questions. I think those questions are vital and important, but I'm not telling the answers yet. We won't know what happened to Reynolds. We <laughs> nope. No, and you know, for me, I feel like if you watched it correctly, you do know what happened. It's very interesting. Like to me, it's very obvious what happened. There's such a powerful moment where you understand. Brimsley explains it all. I, I I'm fascinated by people thinking that he died, which is not true, or that there's something like Brimsley explains what happened. And then if you watched it correctly, that, okay. I know. That's, okay. Not, a, that's, not, a, that's not a fair sentence. Okay. If you watched it correctly, is not a fair sentence. That that's was, that was, that was a tiny bit judgy. Yeah, it was it's very true. judgy. It was true. And it's true. There's no incorrect way to watch. You're so right. There's no incorrect way to watch. You know what it is? In my mind, like, I was, I'm on a very straight path. So to me, A plus B makes C plus D. And so I'm always amazed when people, um, truly, like, and I kind of love it. It's part of the creative process. Take, like, they say A plus B equals Q, and they see a completely different world around, which sometimes is fascinating to me, and I'm able to take it in creatively and build on it. And sometimes I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to what I was thinking at all. So that's the beauty of it. I also have this thing where I truly believe that what I write and what I intend and the way it's received can be two different things, and that's okay. I was just going to ask you both if that is okay. Oh, yeah. Betsy, the last time I spoke with you, you said, you know, you, you put the thing out, you put it out, it's out. And that is a skill in itself to be as a producer, to just let it go, let it breathe on its own. Oh, it doesn't belong to you anymore. Yeah. It, that's yeah. the thing is it's, it's, it's no longer it's, yours. You, you cleave it to your bosom, you know, for <laughs> four billion years. And then you, you craft it and love it to the best that you can. And then you put it out into the world and then you're, onto something else too that Uh you want to, that's another story you want to tell. 
My oldest sister called me up and yelled at me for about 20 minutes about the fact that I didn't explain what happened to, to Reynolds. So, <laughs> Seriously? And, and, yeah, and she was so angry she and she, she wants to know and I wasn't telling her and she's, she's, not, she's not pleased with me right now, but that's okay. Hey, them's the breaks. Yeah. We'll be right back with more insights about Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story from executive producer Betsy Beers and creator Shonda Rhimes. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hi, it's Betsy Beers. You're listening to Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, the official podcast. Let's go into this deep dive. So I love to know when I'm wrong about things. (laughs) (laughs) Cyrus is my all-time favorite character, but one of my absolute favorites is Eli Pope from Scandal. And 
Me too. I try to connect the dots to him across the body of work of Shondaland all the time. I felt like there was a little of Eli talking to Liv when I heard Lord Danbury talking to Agatha. And maybe it was a stretch, but I was wondering, Shonda, where that voice comes from. So here's what's fascinating to me. Eli speaks from the pain of the existence of being a powerful man who is invisible. To me, the person who actually holds his voice the most is Lady Danbury, is Agatha. Agatha is, speaks of the pain of being a powerful, invisible person yeah. who is not seen. And Herman, her husband, who is you know, a very sweet, complex, difficult man, who she has great affection and sympathy for no matter what, is in a lot of ways her damsel in distress that she is rescuing. I mean, you have to really see it that way. Papa Pope and Agatha Danbury, they stand in the same place in power. Mm. Poor Herman hasn't had a chance. I see that now. I see that and I hear that now. I think I was taking it yeah. at, at, like, at face value, maybe. There's almost nothing that Herman says. You have to remember that she's the puppet master of everything good that happens to him. Oh, my goodness. And she very quietly allows him to pretend that he has more power than he does because she understands how painful his life has been. Cyril spoke about that, too. He, he said that he poured the parts of himself that understood being marginalized and still needing to be tender to those around him and not having the time or space to, to do that. And I guess maybe that's what I was connecting. Like, uh, well, that's interesting. No. When, when Eli was calling Olivia her uh, concubine, <laughs> I was like, yes, that is the thing. He was calling it as he saw her behavior, which is different than treating her a certain way. Do you see the difference? Like, he's expecting her to be an empowered, three-dimensional woman. Mm, okay. Um, Herman's not expecting that. Herman believes that Agatha is nothing more than a quiet little wife. I mean, there was a lot of talk about, like, the sex scenes, for instance. And I was like, she's, people were like, it's assault. And I was like, it's not assault. It's a, a man who's, A, never considered the idea that a woman could ever enjoy herself sexually, because that's not a definition of sex for a man. But B, it's never occurred to Agatha either, because this is the only man she's ever known. She's bored out of her mind. So, you know, those scenes where she seems to be, like, making lists and thinking while they're, while they're in bed together, she's bored out of her mind. She finds it boring. And I kind of felt like if every woman who really was bored and sort of over having sex with her husband called it assault, we'd be in a whole different world right now. Like, that's what that is. She's in a long-term sort of very boring dead marriage where she's never been awakened to anything. Her garden has never bloomed, as we've said. Like Hello. Say. Hello, garden. But she feels a great deal of affection for him because she sees how badly he is treated by the world and how invisible he is. So he thinks he has power, but he does not. And she sees how hard he takes it because it feels to me like he's a man constantly who's being disappointed. Yes. And she spends so much time trying to mitigate that disappointment. And that's a huge part of what she does. And that's, yeah. that's the thing that I think is so amazing about that relationship is... She takes care of him as best she can. And she also understands as she gets more into the politics of this show, the deprivation mm -hmm. that has existed for him. There will be no ball trust. They dangle joy in front of me, never let me grasp it. 
You are every bit as good as they are. have to understand that all the women are women who use society's belief about who they should be and the positions they should occupy. They use those positions and those beliefs against the people to their own advantage. They're demanding of um, the Dowager Princess, like, who is George's new doctor? And she says, I do not remember names. I'm female. And they all go, of course, which is, she says it because that's what they believe. And if they're stupid enough to believe it, she's going to work it to her advantage. Right. To me, these are the women using the tools they have around them to their best advantages. Princess Augusta is one of my favorite characters for that reason. And Me too. Oh, my goodness, Betsy. And I think I would say top three scenes for me is the pear brandy scene. I think I, <laughs> anyone who I've spoken with <laughs> knows that is one of my favorite scenes. And I don't remember if I asked you, Betsy, but I'm going to ask you now. Did you ever have a pear brandy moment with anyone early in your career? Oh, where somebody poured her the pear brandy? Yeah. Did someone pour you the pear brandy, (laughs) Betsy? I'm not sure that there was that much vituperation. But in terms of being in a situation where I needed to be a more worthy adversary. Yeah. I mean, I would say that there have been moments definitely with people that I would call probably the politicians of our job. But usually it was you take the gloves off and you sit there for a second, then you put the gloves back on. Yeah. As opposed to, I I don't tend to have total meltdowns under those situations. (laughs) Or like falling apart, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Very different from Lady Danbury. Because, and she had no one else to go to. I don't think I've ever had that sense of total, full isolation that that character has, which is one of the things I love about that scene. The other thing I love about that scene is how quickly Agatha is able to pull herself back together again. But the combination of, I don't want to lose my adversary from Augusta, but also that is the way that she can show her feelings towards her. And she can't show her feelings towards her by saying, you know what, I'm so glad you're in this world because you go get him, girlfriend. She she has to say, <laughs> she that's not the situation, but she has gigantic amounts of admiration for her. Yeah. And I would say, unfortunately, in a lot of these situations I've been in, I have not had as much admiration (laughs) as I've had. Um, And it doesn't happen a lot. But to your point, I think occasionally a situation pops up where it's politics and you handle it. This is more long-winded way of saying, not exactly like this, no. But I know what it's like to sit across the table and bargain Mm. with a smile and a drink. (laughs) I, yeah, I, of course, have glamorized that in my mind. And I I wonder the same for you, Shonda. Who poured pear brandy for you early in your career, if you had a oh, moment God. like that? I don't know that I've ever had a moment like that, but I think I, and, and not in, and I want to say this correctly, because, you know, I love her. I was raised by a Princess Augusta in the best possible way, meaning that I feel you like were. I was raised at the feet of somebody who would who would pour somebody the pear brandy and say, get it together. Mm. So having been raised by a woman like that, who had those expectations, you know, I have great admiration for Princess Augusta and what she's trying to accomplish here for herself and what she's accomplished given the world that she's, you know, stuck in. And that's one of my favorite scenes that I've written. And what made it so great was to get to write something like that and then to get the footage back and see the astonishingly amazing performances those actors gave. It's really exciting when that happens, when you write something 
I mean, because I'm not on set. I write something, I send it off, Tom's there. And to have it come back and be more than what you dreamed is so fantastic. I think actually that's why that's such a hard question to answer is because there's so many layers to that scene. Yeah. Because I can say, have I ever sat across the table from theoretically an adversary? Have I ever sat across the table from somebody where I showed my vulnerability and they said, keep it. It, Every single thing is in that scene. Mm -hmm. I mean, that scene has every single stage of a relationship, a friendship, an adversarial relationship. It's like, so it's almost like, have I ever, yeah, I've had all of those moments. What's incredible to me is not one scene. No, right. It's never in one scene. With someone like that. (laughs) I mean, it's really cool to have this this scene between the two of them because you're right. I, I love that Betsy said it shows her affection for Agatha and her respect. And honestly, for me, what was important was the concept that they were in that moment, she was making absolutely clear that this is the only equal she's got right now. You know, she's like, don't you fall down on the job because if you do, then I'm alone. Exactly. If you're still standing, then I'm still standing. If you're down, then I have nothing. And I thought that was really powerful and important. So I'm going to jump to a quick question from fans, audience, okay. about parenting. Okay. Sharif at Sharif underscore Scott underscore on Instagram asks, and there's my baby. Does Lady Danbury love her children? Yes. Lady Danbury absolutely loves her children. I think Lady Danbury loves her children the way women of that era often love their children, which is somebody else raises your children. Their children are absolutely being raised by somebody else until they're useful or interesting. I mean, that is flat out literally just how it was done. So if we're living in that world, I mean, it's funny because the actress, you know, Artsma came to me a lot and said, like, is she a good mother? And I was like, she's a fantastic mother. She's hired the best nanny governess she can find. And she's, they're fed and clean and no one beats them. And she treats them, you know, make sure they have fresh air and sunshine. But the reality of it is, is even when you read all those books about Regency period and Georgian period, the concept of motherhood as we know it is a very modern concept. It's a very modern concept, this idea. If you're walking around carrying a baby on your hip, you are a servant in that period in time, period. I'm a servant right now. <laughs> we are. I know we're all servants. I was, just, just, I was just about to say that. You took the words out of my we're mouth. We're serving as children. I think part of the issue here is because people are so immersed in the world of Viola Bridgerton, Yes. There's this weird sort of expectation that socially that was the norm. And the whole point of Violet Bridgerton. The whole point is of the Bridgertons not. is their family is, is absolutely abnormal. The kids sit at dinner. They talk to the children. She likes her family. They hang out She wants together. them to get married for love. Right. I mean, that, that is the opposite of- What the hell is that? How any child was raised back then. Violet is a very different kind of mother because she was happy but also because she had her husband let her do what she wanted. There's no way you could be but like a lady in waiting to the queen and what are you running around playing patty cake with your children? It just wasn't done. You know, it's why one of the reasons I made very clear that when Queen Charlotte had her child, we see the baby. We know that she spent time with the baby, but that's it. Like there's no babies running around. And when you see these surly adults, you're like, how did they get that way? (laughs) That to me was very interesting. Yeah. Oh. And I guess that that yeah that scene, we see a quick quick maybe fifteen seconds of Violet with her grandbabies, and 
that yeah. Let's see, Violet. Yeah, Violet is a very different kind different, of mother. Yeah, Violet is on the floor playing with her grandbabies. That brings her joy. I don't think you'd ever see Agatha Danbury on the floor playing with her grandbabies, and not because she doesn't love her children, but because culturally, for all of them in that period of time, that is not what you do. You know, Lady Featherington wasn't around playing with her grandbabies. Like it's just Violet's mother wasn't playing with her babies. Like that's not how that works. That's so interesting. Um. I asked Keir if he felt, who played Lord Ledger, if he uh-huh. felt like his character helped our audiences understand the way Violet loves and the way Violet led her family later on. And he he felt very much so. Would you say that was intentional? No, I purposely wrote him to be this man. I mean, he calls her brains and beauty. Like, I wrote this man because... How do you turn out to be a woman like Violet? How do you turn out to be a woman like Violet who can recognize love in a man like Edmund and have that life? Violet had to have a spectacular father, especially considering that I needed her to have a not so spectacular mother. I very much wanted you to understand that she knew what that kind of love was. And that's why she treats her children the way she does. And I think she also picks up on the fact that her mother and father are very, very, very different. So focusing on... yes this little bit of longing in her father, I think also contributes to her desire to find real love. That's a beautiful way to put it. She sees his loneliness. And I think there's, she she both gets, what is it like to be loved by a wonderful man, but why it's so important to have a real partner as opposed to somebody who you're making excuses for, mm. which is what I, I always sort of feel like with the two of them is he, he's always sort of going like, yeah, that's your mom. And yet- That's your mom. Yet I have so much compassion for Lady Ledger because I when I write, I have to have compassion to everybody, but I have compassion for Lady Ledger because if you look at it, she's in a house with a team of two. They are a team and she is on the outside. Ooh. And everything that she believes- they treat as if she is wrong and bad. And really, all she's doing is standing in tradition. She's behaving yeah. in all the traditional ways, and they treat her as if she is uh, a joke. And that has got to be difficult for her. I feel like that is so ripe for right now in so many facets of life and politics. Mm-hmm. And me- that is fascinating. Yeah. And and Katie Braben, who plays Lady Ledger, was she just man? Did she deliver? Um, oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, Violet, the lady does not stretch her neck like a giraffe. I want to see the queen. The queen has not yet made an appearance. She behaves like a street urchin. She will humiliate us. She is perfect. She will bring us nothing but accolades. I told you she is not yet ready to be out in society. She is more than ready. Betsy, can you talk a little about casting Katie for that role and your affinity for that character and what that character represents, too? You know, I don't remember that being one of those characters where we saw tapes and tapes and tapes and tapes and tapes. I just remember that we all saw her and she had this absolutely perfect combination of there's a warmth there. Yeah. She's got real depth. She doesn't feel she never felt when she read like she was playing it archly or overemphasizing. She gave her humanity, right? She gave a humanity. And I could see her also. I mean, one of the things obviously that was important is as we're casting these people who are younger and younger versions, you want to believe the bloodline. Uh So it's 
Violet came out of that person and that face and that. So there was always a physicality to it, which was key. So she had this incredible combination of being looking like she could be Violet Bridgerton's mom (laughs) and also just being a lovely, mannered, excellent actress. She had a three-dimensionality to her. She was able to make that That's woman it. not not hateful. I mean, you know what I mean? You don't have to like her, but I could see who she was when she was 18 and she got married. Like, you can see who she was and how she became who she is. Well, she's certainly never been allowed to do that much thinking. <laughs> like, it's very stressful for her to be outthought. Like, that doesn't make it. What's this girl doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the moment in the end when they're at the ball and <laughs> Violet's like, there's Lady Danbury. Hello, Lady Danbury. And her mother's <laughs> like, she'll, she'll ruin us. And the father's like, she won't. But you understand this woman's fear because all she has, like all the other mamas on the marriage mart, is the ability to get her daughter married to have social success. And if this child turns and it's out- that's what she did. Right. If her child turns out in all these untraditional ways that her father is supporting, she cannot imagine there being social success. Oh, my God. That's true. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You'll have Eloise on your hands. Yes. Right. She's like, this is a terrible idea. I'm going to have a spinster for a daughter. This is a nightmare. Oh, Eloise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why do you think both Charlotte and Lady Danbury were cold towards their children in later life? Would you even say they were cold? No. I don't. I don't say they were cold. For me, that if we're going to talk about motherhood, let's talk for a minute about Queen Charlotte. Because for me, those moments when her children are like, you know, you are terrible, and she just can't even make herself explain why she was a good mother. Because her job, her whole job is to make sure that this line continues. Like that is her job. And she's had all these children and she's raised them all and she's put them all in the perfect positions and she's even indulged them for years, obviously, because they're all dating whores and actresses. <laughs> she's even indulged them all. And all she needs from them is one thing. And she's tried to let them be their own people, but they failed miserably. And so to have them tell her that she's a horrible mother, I felt was such a hurtful moment for her. But it's also not untrue because you have that moment when Brimsley says to her, we've all only ever served one person. Like, She's only served the king and the kingdom and what's necessary for that, which means you can't necessarily be a mommy when you're doing all those things. And so to her, she's been an excellent mother. She's had 15 babies. She's lost two. She's allowed them to live their lives. She's given them everything they've ever desired. All she's asking is one stupid thing. And to them, you know, they're busy yelling at her for holding up a nation. I felt the children, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Betsy, too, if that they were like, but... But Mama Queen, you're centering yourselves in our life. And I felt like that was such a theme for talking about adult child parent relationships as well, whether that's a a blood parent child relationship or if it's someone that you work with who is like who who you revere or something like that. But wait, does she have an option other than to center herself? I mean, she's not she's not just herself. She's England. She's the future of the royal crown. Like, like, what are they whining about? I know exactly what you mean. But when you look at what you do so d- brilliantly is you always see both sides of the coin. Yes. What I loved about it is it's not just the crown. You gave everything up to that man. So mm-hmm. it's not just to, to, to our father, who they have no relationship with to, to a large degree, who they haven't seen. So really, it's a little bit like talking about Lady Ledger and Lord Ledger and whose side are you on? Because this whole show is about 
the choices that you have to make that are heartbreaking in your life and what you give up and what you choose. And part of becoming an adult is by making those choices, standing by them. Mm -hmm. But what her kids are saying to me and Brimsley's saying is, Brimsley's different. Brimsley's also sacrificed. He's sacrificed. But in Brimsley's eyes, because Brimsley remembers what came first, you you did it for the world, but Mm. it's that last scene under the bed. The whole world revolves around him. That's amazing what you've just said, because basically you're saying a thing that I, I thought about in passing, but I don't think I ever really articulated in my head at all, which is this idea that she has a spectacularly magical relationship with a man they'll never know. That's it. They've never known and they probably will never know. Somebody who was a memory of their childhood, who probably wasn't sane for much of it, who for a long time has lived apart from them. So to them, she's spent her life revering this figure that is the king that they don't have a relationship with. You know, so they're orphans. She's put that ahead of them. So they're orphans. You're right. That's been her most important relationship. And to her, he needs her more. Ooh. That I'm very clear on. In her mind, he needs her more. Yeah. And that, and that was the deal. That, was, and the that deal. was the deal. She said, I will stand with you between the heavens and the earth. I will tell you who you are. Yeah. Half a George, half a, like, half yeah, of we'll you. We'll be whole together. Than, we'll be yeah. whole together. I mean, that doesn't leave room for a lot. No. And that's the thing. And that's why it's so relatable just in terms of life and choices, which is something always gets lost in the shuffle. Something always gets sacrificed. Somebody is always disappointed. Yes. Um, There are no bad mothers. There's just incredibly difficult choices. Yes. Well put. And it's like the older you get and the way I look at my mother and Shonda knows every story in the world and (laughs) about her. And she was... She was a situation, um, but she was an incredibly strong and interesting woman. And the older I got, the more I started to appreciate a horrible series of choices she had to make. You know, exactly what you're saying. So my takeaway from this always is, and why I cry at the end of that episode, every single time I see that darn bed scene, is it's worth it for that one moment. Mm. And then you go back to what you're doing, but I guess it's worth it for that one moment. But what are you missing? But I love that moment when she looks up at her daughter and she says, you've lost babies. And it's never occurred to her. Exactly. Nobody's ever shared it with her. It's never occurred to her. Like that has not been something she's been privy to in any way, shape or form. Well, and as you said, nobody's ever shared it with her. So the whole thing is you you created such so interesting. You said that because you created a situation. She's in a situation where, where no one will tell her anything anyway. So it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And she doesn't really want to know because she's busy. But maybe she did want to know. You know would she have been a different mother? Would she have know? been a different mother? So it's always that sliding doors of, I created a situation which nobody could tell me what was really going on because they knew that my single-mindedness was directing me here. What did I miss? Do I think she thinks about that much? No, because she's a practical forward thinking human, but I, but but that is, is, yeah, it's it's so incredibly relatable and moving. It's what's lost in the pursuit of greatness. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. So this talk of sacrifice and it all being worth it. And that last scene also makes me think about all the people who asked about Brimsley and Reynolds. What's the moment for Brimsley that makes it all worth it? Is this something we have yet to see or are we, did we not see it in me? 
Well, let's be clear. I don't know if that moment, I mean, Betsy was very clear. She said that moment makes it all feel worth it. And then she's back in her life again. So Mm. is there a moment that truly makes it all feel worth it? She, to me, the heartbreaking thing, the reason I cry at the end of that, that this, the episode, when we see them under the bed together is because that's what she gets. She's had a lifetime and all she gets are these little tiny moments under the bed together where she can hope to see glimpses of the George that she loved. You know, that's opening a door and getting a peek and having the door closed in your face. I don't know that that makes anything all worth mm. it. And I think that this is a story about what happens in the pursuit of greatness. They are all serving the king. The idea that Brimsley's in a world in which that is what the main focus is explains to you a lot of his loneliness. And it's your whole identity. I mean, his that's yeah. his whole identity. It's what you're saying, Sean. It all boils down to what do you give up? What do you get Mm -hmm. for the pursuit of greatness? So, Betsy, I feel like that's a question. Do you ask yourself that as the EP? What is lost in the pursuit of greatness? Like, I feel like (laughs) that's a big question. I'm laughing too close. I'm laughing (laughs) because I was like, my God, that's that's a years of therapy question, but also a real one. It is. Um, Everybody who's incredibly devoted to a job that they love, about which they're incredibly passionate. It's one of your main relationships in your life. And it has that import and it has that value. And it means that sometimes, you know, people are always saying like, I, I missed this anniversary or I missed someone's birthday. There are things that you, I think you balance every day to try to figure out how important that is. Mm-hmm. But we all think about it all the time. But yeah. I think if you're a perfectionist and you, you really care about what it is you're doing. It doesn't matter if it's this or something else. You don't have a choice. Like, yeah, I, I can't stop thinking about those things. And I, I want to solve the problem or I want to crack the net or I want to figure out what what this piece of story is that's in the back of my head. Or I, and Shonda knows this. It's like, yeah. we call them barking dogs. It's the stuff that, you know, keeps me awake sometimes, but I get more joy mm-hmm. also out of that. And I think... Not to the point God knows of being king or queen of England. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But And that's the thing, though. I mean, I think that's the thing about the characters is we are talking about people. And what fascinated me about the royals is that they are trapped. Like, this is not a job you, <laughs> ostensibly, this is not choose. a job you can quit. This is not a job you choose. This is a thing that, you know, they are going to be queen and king forever. So for them, the pursuit of greatness isn't, it isn't a choice. Like it's, you know, it wasn't that long before that people were beheaded, you know, but for them, it's not a choice. They have to do these jobs. Whereas for us, you know, we're people who can redefine what we think greatness is every day. That's really well put. Yeah. Yeah. They they can't do that. They don't have the option because all they have is what's public. Also, because it's bloodline too. It's right. You never can get out of it. That's what I found so fascinating about just the world and even Queen Charlotte. Like she's, that woman is trapped in a job that she can't quit. You know what I mean? Like she's got to be the loneliest woman in England. And she tries to quit it a couple of times in the show. She I mean, does. she's she like, that. I'm going to get, I'm going to get on a yeah. a horse and a boat. I'm getting the hell out of here. And it was like, actually, no, you can't because then they will arrest you because You're, you will be yeah. treasonous because you've got a baby in your stuff. You know, it's, there's no free will past a point. And that's the thing is I think I think we can identify with the things that we all give up on a day-to-day basis, but it's still, as Shonda says, it's a choice for us. So, but it, it def- definitely puts our choices in perspective. That's for sure. Jeez. I know. Yeah. Can you imagine? 
Looking at Shondaland's history of depicting my person in Queen Charlotte. Intimacy is key in your writing and how Shondaland's teams have historically anchored shows that are about like the the wild and extravagant or far-fetched and the routine kind of scenarios. Um, They're all anchored by intimacy. So there's a scene between Corey and Freddie. Corey is young King George at a long table. He's beginning to decompensate Mm -hmm. or tremble. And Freddie mentions, or um, Reynolds mentions the the wine. You know where I'm going. I know where you're going. the, The incredible intimacy of him putting his hand on his shoulder to steady him. Now there, there's one thing that we did actually cut out of the show. That's a, one scene that got cut out of the show. There's an amazing scene at the beginning of, at the end of episode five, where you, where Freddie tells, well, where Reynolds tells Brimsley um, his history with the king, that they've known each other since they were children and that they kept each other's secrets. And I didn't need that scene because when you watch them together, you can see that that history and that intimacy and that comfort level with one another. I mean, to me, what was most key was Reynolds puts his hand on George's shoulder when George needs it the most. And Brimsley can only stand in a hallway and hold his hand out in the direction of the queen when she needs it the most. He cannot put his hand on her. The intimacy that Reynolds and George have is a much more intense one built from years and years and years together versus the fresh new intimacy between Brimsley and the Queen. We're going to take a really quick break and when we return, we're just going to jump in and we're going to unpack your questions. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hi, it's me, Shonda Rhimes. You're listening to Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, the official podcast. Let's get into these fan questions. But first, let's take a moment to talk about the garden situation. I think about the term, you're my person. I think about the garden conversation when talking about seeing like friendship and intimacy. Betsy, can you talk about how that fits across Shondaland's history of showing friendship. I think there's something about that that's both the same and kind of different than what I would call the sort of you're my person box, because you're my person box, I would put in the young Lady Danbury, young Queen Charlotte. I think what I love about the garden scene is it's Violet Danbury who has no one to talk to about this and who with whom she has... I would say a relationship with evolves over the course of the show. Mm -hmm. And at that particular point, it has not fully evolved yet. So Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's anybody's person at that Mm -hmm. point. I think at that point, what it is, is Violet Bridgerton's going through heat and she has nobody. (laughs) She looks around her world and she has kids and she has no other female friends. So it's much more about Violet Bridgerton trying to share something, being relieved and embarrassed she shared it, and then clutching her handbrag and grabbing her purse and running out, you know? Yes, my secondhand embarrassment was, yeah. (laughs) But what I do think it is, is it's a building block in the whole, which it's, it's a piece in the whole, which is this how a relationship evolves over the course. And it's it's one of my favorite things about the show is watching two people who have always been cordial and who have served each other's purposes over time and I think are friendly, you know, in terms of these th- this period of time. But what happens over the course of the show is they actually reach an understanding which is way deeper and way more profound and sets a different relationship in motion. And it's where it was one of those things I watched and I went, I, I want to see them after this has transpired mm-hmm. as friends because mm-hmm. they're different kinds of friends now. And going back to your question about Shondaland, I think that's a lot of, or just about how we depict female friendships, which is clearly something which I think is core and key certainly to what I what I love to to watch and to work on is it's that relationships are filled with changes and surprises and if you don't grow it dies kind of like a garden i love that they're imperfect well, they have to be 
But to me, I feel like we're watching Violet, who's a lady who, like you're saying, how does it relate to my person or having a person? Violet's a person without a person. Violet doesn't have a person. Yeah, she's good. Lady Danbury doesn't have kids. a person. The point is that these ladies are living these weird, isolated lives because they're not considered to have full lives that they share with one another. And the moment in which she shares sort of out of desperation is this wonderful door that opens to create some intimacy between the two of them. That's still not fully intimate relationship because... Lady Danbury still got her own secrets that she's keeping. Also, you know, I know that we love to talk about female friendships and I know how important it is, but nobody ever talks about male friendships as if it's a remarkable, magical thing that men can be friends. We're not just talking about the intimacy of female friendships and portraying them very differently in this show versus other shows. They are much closer. To me, all of these relationships that we're watching in Queen Charlotte are imperfect. Her marriage to George, it's an imperfect relationship. And we're watching somebody figure out how to make an imperfect relationship work. We're watching Lady Danbury do the same thing. And we're watching Lady Danbury do the same thing in her friendship with Queen Charlotte, where there's this huge power imbalance. All of these relationships that we're looking at are imperfect relationships. And yet people have found ways to step past all those things that, you know, generally like everything needs to be perfect and have a happy ending. None of these stories have a happy ending, but they figure out how to make them work because that's what real life and real love and real friendships really are about. And you don't take the ending into consideration in life you just take no. the process you know right. so it's all we all talk about happy endings and I joke about movies because they're happy endings because then you leave and you go home and you deal with the crap you have at home but it's the process and how the relationships evolve yeah I mean watching Charlotte and George navigate uh, what is obviously and we already know the end when we begin by the way but obviously a very damaged um, relationship fraught with a lot of disappointments and then you're watching Brimsley and Reynolds, which their relationships are fraught with all of these um, barriers and walls and rules about, you know, how they can be together. And Lady Danbury, who's trapped in a marriage that is not at all anything that she wants and how it brings her to a place where she understands that she doesn't want a relationship at all. Like for me, all of that is... That was refreshing to see. Well, it, and it's fun to work on. It's fun to write because you get to show, you know, there's a lot of fairy tale in Bridgerton. And I didn't want Queen Charlotte to be a fairy tale. So, Miss Claudia on Instagram asks, Shonda, what are your thoughts on the perceived issues of fantasizing history, specifically when it comes to the portrayal of people of color during the eras the Bridgerverse spans? And she also asks if there's an issue of erasure on some level. So I find that to be a fascinating question, mainly because we've made clear that the Bridgerverse is its own world. We've been very clear that we're not standing in actual history. Um, we're talking about, you know, Queen Charlotte is Bridgerton's Queen Charlotte story, which works for me on the same level as saying, you know, I watched some shows in the Marvel Universe and I feel really uncomfortable that we're erasing the history of robots or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's if we're talking about telling story in fiction, there is science fiction, obviously, that you know, puts zombies in the middle of the Nazi Germany or whatever. And nobody asks them about that in service of their storytelling. We have a universe that we have created and we have not actually added science fiction to it. We haven't thrown random things into it. We took a piece of history and we extrapolated what would, it, what would the story have been like if we had gone in this direction, if the world had gone in this direction, if Queen Charlotte had been a woman of color. I don't think that we're erasing history because I'm not trying to tell a history lesson. I think when you're watching a biopic or a docu-series or whatever, that's there's a real responsibility there. But we were telling the story of Queen Charlotte from Bridgerton, um, which is not the same as telling the story of Queen Charlotte 
as she stood in history. And I should hope we're not erasing history. My goal, by the way, is that you then go back and spend a lot of time reading and trying to figure out where everything lays down and what what was portrayed, you know, from the actual history and what wasn't and what you can learn. Like I spent a lot of time um, tracing the slavery timeline in terms of these people and what it meant because I became fascinated by like well, what was actually there and what was going on. Also, you know, I'm just not going to tell stories where I'm not standing at the center where people who look like me aren't a part of that story. I wonder for the both of you how long you have felt like you have the space to to dream up whatever you want and to just put it out there for your own joy and not necessarily for the response. And if that if that's even a thing. We only make shows we like to watch, right, Betsy? That's our thing. Yeah, I can't work on anything that... I don't want to see or I don't want to say or or I, something that I, I don't see somewhere that needs to be seen. We talk about this a lot. Like our responsibility is entertainment and storytelling. Our responsibility exactly. is to tell you a story and entertain you. Our responsibility is not to tell you a story that you necessarily are going to agree with or reflects the story. Because I always say if I told you the story that you wanted to hear, then I wouldn't be telling you a story. I would just be sort of regurgitating back to you, you. I think it's so important to tell people stories that challenge them and challenge the way they like to perceive the world or the way they're looking at things or how they feel things should be portrayed. Um, and that's not an act of activism or anything. We're literally just telling good story that makes us happy. It's just seriously stuff I want to watch. If we were not making shows we want to watch, then there's no point in making shows. And that's been true since the very beginning. Exactly. So all we know how to do is to make shows we want to watch. That's literally always been our only rule. We will only make it's, shows we want to watch. And something we haven't done before in a perfect Yeah, right. Way. We can't be something yeah. we've done before because then we get bored. But I get it. Like, I understand in terms of representation where if you have not been represented enough, every representation becomes the representation. Yeah. Which to me is always not a sign of that show didn't represent you correctly. Like, if you watch a show and you're like, I didn't like how they portrayed this character. That show didn't represent you correctly. It's a sign that there are not enough stories being told that represent you. There's just not enough stories being told where you can see yourself. It's not any one storyteller's job to represent you. It's you, you, that there should yeah. be such a diversity of storytelling that you get to see yourself in a million different places. Because I've never heard a white man go, I don't feel correctly represented on television. Like, no, because they see themselves <laughs> everywhere. You'll find yourself somewhere. Right. If you don't like yourself in one, you'll find yourself in something else. And to your exactly. point. And that's, Yeah. Yeah, and we think about that when it comes to characters of color. We think about it when it comes to, to to women. We think about it when it comes to queer representation. Like, we're really trying to tell stories about humanity here. Like life, very often there's way more going on than you mm -hmm. think. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's the yeah. other great thing is is people surprise you. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes <laughs> they do. And sometimes discovering their reasons as to why they are the way yes. they are without it getting all shrinky, but is why the joy of this is being able to, on some level, I can always relate to. Like people go, who's your favorite character? And I'm like, well, right today it's this, but tomorrow mm -hmm. I'm going to relate to Queen Charlotte in a different way. And tomorrow, the next day, I'm Reynolds, man. I'm having a Reynolds day. That's the fun part is depending on where your head is, it's a choose your own adventure sort of situation. I agree. This is from Chaotic Guitar again. They asked uh, about a particular scene. They said, I found the scene where Charlotte asks Brimsley why he never married very sad. Do you think that was an aha moment for Charlotte? 
that she actually never asked Brimsley personal questions before. And then on another occasion, I have heard the question, why was that conversation happening through the mirror? Well, let's talk about the fact that how often are she and Brimsley staring one another in the face? That's not very often. He's always five paces behind her, which is one of the reasons why the mirror works so well. One. But two, look, it was definitely an aha moment for Queen Charlotte. I love Queen Charlotte. I love that character. I loved writing her. But one of my favorite things about her is she's the queen. She's inherently selfish. Everything about her world has been built for her. So it has certainly never once occurred to her to ask Brimsley personal questions about himself. Do you know what I mean? And that doesn't make her a bad person. That makes her the queen. And I really enjoyed getting to to layer that in. I love that moment when Agatha says, I've been, you know, I've been tending to issues from my husband's, you know, passing an estate. It is good to be home. I have missed your company. Tell me, what have I missed while I was away? As for the ton, I have no gossip of consequence to share. I have been occupied tending to the estate in the wake of the death of my husband. Of course. You are mourning a great loss. And the children. Is there anything I can do? Queen Charlotte's like, oh, yes. And then she's like, oh, wait, is there anything I can do? Like, it's never even occurred to her that there's anything she could do because her whole world is geared to be about her. So, yeah, I don't think it's ever occurred to her. And I love the look on the actress Golda's face when Brimsley gives his answer and then he walks away because she has a very real sense that he has sacrificed as much as she has in that moment and knows that they can never discuss it. I don't think you can maintain a distance between the two of them with, if they spent all their time speaking intimately. There are two pieces to this that I think are really interesting is that he says to her about her daughters, they could not leave you there trapped in time, but neither could he. I mean, and that's the point. Oh, <laughs> I'm really having an O oh moment. It's why he understands. If you watch the whole show just from the perspective of just Brimsley, I think you see a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. I never thought Brimsley thinking of himself as one of, okay. But I guess I did, but I just didn't package it like that. <laughs> He's been with her longer than her children. He's been with her longer than her dogs. He's been with her longer than anybody in her sure life. Has. They have the most. They, he's been with her longer than her husband, more intimately than her husband. They have the most intimate relationship that she has in her world. That is that and, is her relationship with him. And by far the most man hours. <laughs> yeah. And, and they spend all their time together. Like she says, we'll spend the rest of our lives together. It's just the beginning of the first end of the first episode. So angrily, the reality of it is, is it's true. They spend their lives together. They have the marriage. Thank you, everybody, so much for paying attention and watching Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story, listening to the podcast, A Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story, reading the book, Queen Charlotte, A Bridgerton Story. Betsy and I enjoy talking to you, don't we, Betsy? We definitely enjoy talking to you. And for me to thank you so much for watching, reading, listening, and especially for uh, joining us for this podcast. Giving us an opportunity to talk to each other about a project that we both love which um, I will always take an opportunity to do. Yep. As we draw the curtain on this season, I cannot help but feel overwhelmed with the need to show my gratitude to Shonda Rhimes, Betsy Beers, and the entire team at Shondaland. We extend a heartfelt thank you for opening the doors of the court and granting us access to 
the profound parts of each artist involved in bringing Queen Charlotte to life. Before we wrap, I must acknowledge Tom Verica one last time, an integral piece of the puzzle. He has lent his vision as a director in shaping the visual world of Queen Charlotte and the culture on set. And together, Shonda, Betsy, and Tom have formed a synergy that's brought this series to life, right? And I know you're with me in applauding their talent for assembling a bewitching blend of cast and crew that all gave us Queen Charlotte. It's really been fun, y'all. This has been such a great romp through the season with the cast and to hang out and chat with remarkable artists who continue to inspire and ignite our imaginations. Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story is just one testament to the growing legacy of Shondaland and the enchantment of storytelling. The collective brilliance is mwah. Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Alex Alche, Lauren Homan, Akia McKnight, and me, Gabby Collins. Our producer and editor is Tari Harrison. Subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your favorite shows. Get the book. I'm a crispy turn the page, smell the binding kind of queen, but you can download it. Until we meet again, may we all find inspiration in the grace, elegance, and audacity of Queen Charlotte. Thanks again for joining us. Queen Charlotte, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.